Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, everybody. This is Helen from Helen's Wines, and this is Wine Face. Helen's is a wine shop in the back of a restaurant in Los Angeles called John and Vinny's. Great Italian food. Helen's Wines is a little gem box shop in the back. You can come visit us if you're in Los Angeles on Fairfax and also in Brentwood as of next week, TBD, hopefully. But, or you can visit us online, helenswines.com. Follow me on Instagram, at helenswines. But this is Wine Face. And today, we're taking a toe dip into the wild, wonderful, illustrious world of Burgundy. Now, I say the wild, wonderful world of Burgundy, and you might be like, WTF is that? Burgundy is a place in France. If you remember the episode, France is my hand. You will remember that Burgundy is one of those places on the palm of my hand, kind of closer to the pointer finger and the thumb, if you were going to close your eyes and imagine it. But Burgundy is the mecca. It's the mothership. It's the place where Pinot Noir for red wine and Chardonnay for white wine grow in glorious, unbridled fashion. They create beautiful, electric, enticing, gripping, amazing wines and I'm going to tell you a little bit about why. This is definitely a much more complex area, and I think it's one of the main areas when people are like, French wine, I don't understand it. Burgundy definitely does not help it. It is hella confusing. First of all, I'm talking about Burgundy as one area. It's just south of Dijon in France, you know, famous for the moustard. So just south of Dijon, and it can be broken into two separate chunks, two separate areas. So Burgundy's the overall area. And then directly south of Dijon is the Côte de Nuit. And I always remember the Côte de Nuit is north because Nuit is N and north is N. I don't know. These little things help me and they have my entire life. So the Côte de Nuit is in the north and it's more famous for red wine production, Pinot Noir to be specific. And then in the south is the Côte de Bone. The Côte de Bone. And then technically also part of Burgundy, and we'll get to this at the end, but it deserves its own little special highlight, is the Maconay. And south of that, Beaujolais. But for all intensive purposes, what we're focusing on right now is the Côte de Nuit and the Côte de Bone. And they're stacked. They kind of have this really beautiful, long, lean sort of lineage. And it's because there's one continuous kind of cliff of limestone that 
is running throughout this entire area. And when you go there and you look up, you just see this kind of winding, continuous hills of vineyards. And that's where the Pinot Noir and the Chardonnay are planted. To take it back a long, long time ago, prehistoric, no, not prehistoric, but this is where some of the first wine was planted. It's where wine for the Pope was planted. Uh, There's a vineyard called Romani Conti. It's a winemaker. They make some of the most famous. You might have heard of DRC if you're geeked out on wine. And this is the most famous area. It's in a part of the Cote de Nui, which is the area in the north called Vone Romani. So let me back it up for a minute. Burgundy is confusing because, first of all, we have Burgundy. Then we focused in. We had the Cote de Nui, and then we had the Cote de Beaume. Now we're going to focus in even more. And this is where someone like me, who loves wine, gets tickled with excitement because once we zoom in, I'm going to just list off these different prime areas in the Cote de Nui. This is how site-specific it gets. So as you're traveling along the road, you will go through Marcinet, Fixant, Gevry-Chambertin. And these are little villages, but they're known for making wine. And when you see that name on the label of a bottle, you know it's made in Burgundy, it's made in that village, and it's Pinot Noir. So Marcinet, Fixant, Gevry-Chambertin, Maurice-Saint-Denis, Chambon-Moussigny, Vougeau, Vaume-Romany, Nuit-Saint-Georges, right? So these are like the heavy hitters of the Cote de Nui. And they're all super famous for making red wine. The soil there much more appreciates Pinot Noir, loves it, nurtures it. The hard part is that it's also very, very specific. And you kind of got to curate and cultivate the vine. Vines are super sturdy, but to create the elegance and expression that is different from every one of these villages. So what's so fascinating to me about Burgundy is I go into the Cote de Nuit, you taste a wine from Marcinet, and it tastes completely different than a wine from Gevry Chambertin. And it's made up of the same exact grape varietals. It's like, mind exploding. But even to get more annoyingly site-specific, you take an area like Gevry-Chambertin and then you zoom in there and Gevry-Chambertin is carved up like the United States into separate little vineyards. And knowing each of those little vineyards is also part of what a person like me loves to know about wine. Why am I bringing this up? Well, I'm going to tell you why, because I think it's part of wine education that is really getting lost. People aren't thinking about it. People aren't getting that site-specific. People aren't going to these old-school, mythical places to really understand the tradition of winemaking that goes back hundreds of years, even thousands, which is really, really mind-blowing. So the Cote de Nuit associated mostly for red wine, right? Within each of these little areas, like Maurice Saint-Denis, I'm going to repeat them, Gevry Chambertin, Marcinet, Fixant, Vaume-Romany, they're all little villages speckled in a line. You could go down north to south. They're within all of these little areas, and each area is then carved up. Different vineyards, looks like the United States. Those little plots of vines are then classified as village, premier cru, or grand cru. And now this is so specific to Burgundy. These are the rules. These are the AOC rules of Burgundy. As you travel farther south, then you get into the Cote de Bone. Burgundy is anchored by a little city right in the middle of it. It's called Bone. I've stayed there a couple times. It's amazing. It's like charming and sweet and it's surrounded by a wall and it it moves in a certain, like it's a circular city. Um, It's kind of like Aix-en-Provence in that way. And you can eat escargot and beef bourguignon. I know it sounds like so traditional. And you can eat this like stinky sausage that kind of smells like ass, but tastes really good. (laughs) No joke. 
bone is amazing. It's sort of the heartbeat of the area. And then as you move through bone, you get into the Cote de Bone. Now the Cote de Bone is a little bit of red wine as you're moving through it. And then it's full on, very famous for white wine, which is always made from Chardonnay. So as we move through bone, little villages kind of pop up again, just like it did in the Cote de Nuit. Pernon Vergelas, Alux Corton, Le Dois, Savigny-le-Bon. These are all areas that are kind of right around the middle of Burgundy. They produce both Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. They're kind of equally as famous for both. And Bone is anchored by this ginormous hill. I mean, imagine like one of someone you know who has the most gigantic forehead that just like bulbs out, kind of like uh, Frankenstein, but more soft and round. That is what the hill of Corton kind of looks like. And Corton is an area that is in the Cote de Bone. And it is super famous for white wine. They make some of the most amazing Chardonnay in the entire world. Prohibitively expensive, some of them, but still astounding. Like mellifluous and velvety and soft like you never would have believed. The kill of Corton always helps you orient yourself about where you are in Burgundy. And then you keep moving south and you get to Pomard and Volnay, which are kind of the last two strongholds for Pinot Noir red wine making, two little areas. And every little area, Pomard, Volnay, they all have a church. They all have little houses. And these are not great distances. These are not vast distances. Then you move into the mothership for Chardonnay. This is where people started to try and replicate the Chardonnay that is naturally made here. That buttery, oaky, California bullshit. All right, not trying to be mean. But in its truest form and intention, it comes from France, from white Burgundy. And it's just this replication of it, this cheapening down of this illustrious flavor is kind of what boggles my mind and frustrates me. As you move through here, you have Pellini Montrachet, Saint-Aubin, Merceau, Chassagne Montrachet. These are some of the pinnacles of Chardonnay production. The hillsides are less extreme in some cases. They're more gradually sloping. Chardonnay thrives. What you have to think about is that Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are uniquely crafted in this area because of the geological substructure that Burgundy exists in. And what the mindfuck is, is how did people know way back in the day to go and plant grapes there? How do they know? How do they know that this would be like the perfect place to plant Pinot Noir and make wine that only the Pope should drink? Which is also so crazy that like back in the day, the Pope was like the president and drank all the best wine. That is sort of a quick snapshot into Burgundy. So I know this is like a pretty quick overview of what is a very complex region. We went through the Cote de Nuit, which is in the north, just south of Dijon, into the Cote de Bone. It's this one continuous area that for wine professionals like me is this amazing thought method but this place goes way, way back. I mean, the Celts were making wine in Burgundy in 51 BC. Now that is a long ass time ago. And I mean, back to what I was saying, like, how did they know to make wine here? It's absolutely crazy. And then people founded an abbey there. I mean, people were making wine there for a really long time. In fact, one of the most famous vineyard sites there is the Clos-Vougeot, which Cistercian monks, wait, Cistercian, (laughs) sometimes old words are hard to say, created the first like walled vineyard and it's called the Clos-Vougeot and it's sort of this big house in a flat area. Uh, A lot of the wine that was being made early, early on back then was a symbol of 
God's blood. They weren't making Chardonnay. They were making mostly uh, Pinot Noir. And people would invest time and they would build wall. There's all these old stone walls that encapsulate these first early vineyards. And it's just unbelievable that people knew, especially like men of the cloth, knew to go there and make wine. It's absolutely mind boggling. But things started to like rapidly sort of escalate and improve around the 18th century. There were more roads that were made so that facilitating the export of wine was a lot easier because I might not have mentioned this, but Burgundy is a landlocked area which means that there was not an easy access to ships. So the wines of Burgundy were always spoken about, but they were hard to access. And Burgundy now was becoming a competitor to Champagne, which back in the 18th century was one of the most famous winemaking regions, another area of France known for sparkling wine. Uh, Champagne, weirdly enough, was making red wine as well, which is just a different time. The the history of winemaking the world, we got to do a whole series of podcasts on it because it's really fascinating. Um, But back around 1760, this prince acquired one of the most famous vineyards in Burgundy, which I mentioned before, uh, Domaine de la Romanie, which has the Romani Conti vineyard. And that's in Von Romani, which is an area that's in the Cote de Nui. Um, And so they absorbed this and it kind of just started putting Burgundy wine and how amazing it was on the map. And more kings and more princes started acquiring vineyards. And that's kind of how Burgundy was like really made into this royal, amazing, amazing thing. It's a much more complex thing and we should go into it a deep dive, a deep dive one day off the diving board. But I just want to I I think that we live in such a consumable, immediate culture right now that it's important to kind of take a look back and dig in and see why things are the way they are. Now, the hardest thing about Burgundy right now is the price. And, you know, it would be hard to roll into a wine shop, even Helen's. I have a lot of Premier Cru, Grand Cru Burgundy. It would be hard to walk out of there with one for under $100. And, you know, I'm not saying I can fix that or change that. The price on these wines are set by the markets. I can't really control it. But the other thing that's affecting these wines and why they're so special is it's hypothesized that it could be a dying breed. Global warming and climate change is changing a lot of the yields of production. And as the yields go down, the supply diminishes and demand stays the same or even increases, the price rises. It's the law of economics. And so that's why it's sometimes hard for people to understand when they come into the wine shop and they want a a Pinot Noir from France. And the least expensive one I have is usually $35 a bottle, but more likely $45 to $50 a bottle. But you also got to understand that you're buying history in a bottle. You're buying terroir. You're you're investing in a being transported to a certain place in time. I mean, the most cool thing about Burgundy, whether you're drinking a Pinot Noir or a Chardonnay, is the food that goes with it. I mean, obviously, there's the famous beef bourguignon. It's a beef stew that's braised in Burgundian red wine. So it's important to use a Pinot Noir. So Burgundian red wine means you're using a Pinot Noir from Burgundy. It was created in the 19th century and you basically braise everything for a long time. You got onions, garlic, carrots. Some people put mushrooms. I like to serve it with egg noodles. Some people do it with mashed potatoes. It's really to each their own. Uh, Coca vin, 
is a super famous dish from Burgundy as well. And it goes so well with Burgundian wine. It's chicken braised in wine. It goes way back into the ancient days. Um, the original plate was called for, like, you used a rooster. That's why it's called the cocaven. Um, roosters kind of have a more tough connective tissue. And so it was hypothesized that it would be better for braising. But as we know now, we use chickens because roosters, you don't come by them that much. Um but also, like, the art of French cooking, goddamn Julia Child, she has a great recipe for it. Another dish that's absolutely mind-bending, and you really can't find this, though, outside of Burgundy. I remember, like, I begged Ludo, we got to try and make this, but it's so good. It's called Oufs en Morette. Oufs en Morette. And it's a rich, creamy dish of eggs, and they're poached in a red wine sauce that's called the Morette. And this is like a very typical Burgundian sauce. It's comprised of like lardons, which is bacon, onions, mushrooms, shallots. It's definitely not a vegetarian dish, but it's real, real bomb. And then escargot. Like escargot is so Burgundian. Escargot is snails. You know, typically you like make a snail butter and you pull the little snails out and you put them back in the shell covered in snail butter and then you broil it and they get piping hot and you have your pretty woman moment where you like... So you like flick it out of the shell and throw it on someone's face. Another sleeper hit from Burgundy, jambon à la chablisienne. This is sliced ham, which is like, it's so like kind of nasty good. It's sliced ham that's in a chablis, which is a chardonnay from the most northerly part of Burgundy. It's chablis, creme fraiche, and tomato. And like you kind of saute it all together. And then everybody's favorite, a gougere. Gougere is like a little snacky mini popover puff that's savory. It's made from shoe pastry. If you watch the British Bake Off, you should know what I'm talking about because Paul Hollywood will give you a handshake if you do. But usually gougeres have some sort of fromage or cheese like Gruyere or Comte and they puff up and you kind of eat them and you eat 20 and you feel great about it. <laughs> is everyone doing diets in January? <laughs> Go get some Gougeres. No, they're not diet friendly. Being Burgundian, everything about Burgundy is also so deeply rooted in tradition. That stinky sausage I mentioned before is called Andouette. And when you're in Burgundy, you see like massive signs, Andouette. I mean, it's such a specific specialty. There's there's this, this egg dish where it's eggs that are cooked in a red wine sauce and they look like bloody eggs, but it's like the most divine thing you'll ever eat in your life. I wanted to talk about Burgundy today because I think it's an area that one is already confusing. So people automatically are like, I'm not getting into it. And I wanted to start this overview so that we're going to do a deep dive into Burgundy and what is it about? What is it about each one of these little villages? What are the traditions? So that you can kind of take a step forward in a more educated stance about one of the most famous and renowned winemaking regions in the world. You know, it doesn't all need to be about trendy, Vendée de France, natural wine. All of these things are so amazing, but it also is important to get back to the basics, back to how did this all begin? So that's kind of like a snapshot into the world of Burgundy and why it has this essentialness to it. You kind of want to like live, eat, sleep Burgundy. You got to go there. You got to see the people. You got to experience it. And when you get there, everyone thinks it's so fancy, but it's really just a bunch of farmers. You're walking through the streets of Bone. You just sort of stumble into the Columbard, which is a wine bar. You sit out on their patio, which overlooks some ancient cathedral, and you order toast with like raw butter, salt, and anchovies. And it's like heaven on earth. 
you drink Ravino Chablis and you don't feel bad about it because you paid 60 euro. And that to me is all about how we start embracing history through wine, site, place. And we could do that here in LA. Anyway, quick toe dip into Burgundy. Why is it important? Because this is our ancestry. This is where we come from. This is where wine began in some senses. Not originally, but there's a lot of history rooted in this. This is where Pinot Noir and Chardonnay get their je ne sais quoi aspect that everyone around the world wants to replicate. It's important historically, and also everyone should try and make beef bourguignon this month. It's absolutely delicious, but it'll last six hours. This is Wine Face. I'm Helen. Visit me, helenswines.com. If you're in Los Angeles, come check out the shop. We do gifts. We got a wine club. This is Wine Face. I'm out. Bye. Bye.